Hello, everybody. I'm not even going to say the catchphrase. I'm not even going to play the music because we are going to get right back into it. This, of course, is Sound of Sanity. I am Nathan. Jake is here. Ben is here. Pastor Tim Bailey is here. This is part three of our series on effeminacy. I might not even do end credits. You know why? Because I'm staying up really late to get your Ville episodes done. So I hope you like those Ville episodes. And support us at patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. Please subscribe over on the Ville feed. But we're going to get right back into our discussion about effeminacy with Tim. Actually, one more thing. I should warn you, this episode, not the best one to listen to with your children. Maybe not the best thing to listen to with your person of the opposite sex who's not your spouse. A lot of good content in what we're about to say, but just not for those particular forums. So be advised. Thank you very much. Love you. And let's talk effeminacy with Tim. So I think we've opened up the concept a decent amount. I want to get to some some principles, some application. L- let me play devil's advocate on one more passage of scripture, because this is one that has come up for me in my time in Evansville already. I had a very heated exchange with the guy who was pushing back on this particular point. And you mentioned the, actually, you were there too, Ben. Uh, you mentioned, Tim, the passage in First Timothy 2. I do not permit a woman to exercise authority over men. And this gentleman, this young man, was making the point that that is a, uh, what would he have said, Ben? Just a, a cultural, a church. It only belongs inside the, the church and the family because he knows lots of good women who are in charge of this and that and an authority over men in the workplace. And it's ridiculous, basically. Well, he didn't say ridiculous, but he... That's what he was saying. It's an argument ridiculous. from yeah. absurdity. Mm-hmm. That would mean that everybody is, has to come home. Yeah, everyone would have to come home. That would be absurd. That's stupid. Well, okay. So, when Mary Lee and I got married, we were feminists. So, I know all those arguments inside and out. So, why does it say in Titus that older women are to teach younger women? And one of the things it says is to be domestic to be home-centered, to be keepers at home. The real problem with people like this is that they do not fear God and they do not honor his word. That's the problem. And if I were talking to a man like that, I'd try to be gentle with him. But I mean, we've had tons of people like that come to our church. And what they have to learn first is that they have no humility. They're self-centered They don't know what it is to repent. They don't know what it means when the Bible says, is not my word like a rock, and is my word not like a fire? Mm -hmm. They do not know the significance of Jesus perpetually saying, the scripture must be fulfilled. They don't have a doctrine of scripture. And the reason they don't have a doctrine of scripture is, a doctrine of scripture is all about authority, the authority of the word of God. Okay, And the problem today is nobody has any respect for authority. And that's not just true of teachers and law enforcement officers and elders and pastors. That actually is true of God. We do not fear God. We do not fear God. And so we have, we don't blush to say, well, that's ridiculous about things that God says in his word. 
and we better tremble because God's no respecter of persons. You might feel superior because you have an iPhone when you walk through Uganda, but God doesn't care that you use an iPhone. Or rather, I should say, is God is not impressed with your technological savvy, and he doesn't, he does, he's not bothered by your hairstyle, by the bothered, I mean impressed. In other words, the problem with that man is not what Scripture does or doesn't say. The problem is that that man has not learned to tremble at God's word. Mm-hmm. Now, Let's say that man is a man who has demonstrated in a number of ways that he does, in fact, tremble at God's word, okay? Mm -hmm. And then he says that, well, then you're dealing with a completely different person because then Hmm. it's a question of feeding a lamb Mm -hmm. or building up a ram that is lame, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's natural that people are lame, in places where there's such a relentless attack on God's authority and word, and sexuality is ground zero of that today. So, coming back to 1 Timothy 2, the problem with that position is that 1 Timothy 2 does not just give commands, but it also gives reasons, okay? And so, if you want to focus on the commands and try to, to squirm your way out of the application of the commands, you're obviously not looking at the reasons, because if you look at the reasons, it says for, in other words, because, I don't allow a woman to teach and exercise authority over a man for, because Adam was created first, then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived took of the fruit and ate it. And so the Apostle Paul says the reason he doesn't allow women to teach and exercise authority over men is because of the creation order and because of the order of the fall. Now, let's take the first one because it's less complicated. Adam was created first, then Eve. Corinthians tells us that means that woman is the glory of man, whereas man is the glory of God. Okay? In marriage, we have commands for wives to submit to their husbands and husbands to love their wives. And yes, I know people will say, well, Ephesians says submit to one another. And I say, that submit to one another does not in any way violate the commands that come right after it where it says that the wife is to submit to her husband. That's how we submit to one another. All of us have different roles of submission and authority. I was the senior pastor over you, Jake, for a while. And you submitted to me because I was senior pastor. It wasn't because I was a man. wasn't because I was older. It was just because I was a senior pastor. Okay? We all have submission in our lives, and we all have authority in our lives. Submit to one another in Jesus Christ. Slaves, don't use your Christian faith and the Christian faith of your master as a way of escaping, submitting to one another. Okay. And so, all through Scripture, even down to Isaiah, where God expresses through the prophet Isaiah's pity for his people, the Israelites, because... Children have become their oppressors, and women rule over them, is indicative of Eve not submitting to her God-divinely ordained superior, which is Adam, but instead allowing Satan to sneak his way between them and listening and obeying Satan. 
okay? And so Martin Luther refers to Satan coming to Eve as if it's through a mine. So it used to be the case that they would mine underground to the city walls and then come up through the mine and nobody was prepared. They thought they were going to come over, over the land outside of the city wall. Well, they came through a mine. Nobody was expecting it. Well, that's how Martin Luther says that Satan came to Eve. He bypassed her protector, her superior, her husband, Adam, and he came at her through a mine. Now, it goes even to such a place as the possessive referring to the female animal going into the ark. It says the male and his female, okay? It goes to Romans 1 where it says that they're women about lesbians. It refers to those lesbian women as being the men's women, their women, okay? I can go all through scripture and show again and again and again and again the very fact that the word adelphoi, which is the Greek word brothers, is used inclusively for both men and women all through the New Testament. The very fact that we did not fall when Eve ate, Eve ate, even though she ate first, it wasn't when she ate that we fall and that we die, but it was Adam. And Scripture in Romans and Corinthians is explicit. One man's sin, Adam's sin. Because of Adam's fall, we sin all. Not Eve's and not Adam and Eve's, but Adam. He's our federal head. Now, I'm sorry, I could keep going, but this is why honest feminists say that scripture, quote, is hopelessly patriarchal, okay? Mm -hmm. Honest women throw the Bible out. What Mm -hmm. we can't stand is dishonest Christians who try to think and feel the Bible into something that it isn't. So when somebody says, no, that text is only applicable to the church and the home, which is what all complementarians say. Okay, that's the whole point of complementarianism is to say, no, it doesn't apply anywhere except the church and home, just in our private lives. Okay, and I used to be the executive director of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Okay, I I know complementarianism. The problem with that is it says for, because Adam was created first and then Eve. And so what you say to people that say it only applies in the church and the home is first you say, well, what about that place in Isaiah where it says that it's to the shame of the Israelites that women rule over them? And immediately what any smart evangelical Christian will say is, well, are you saying that we can't have a woman president? And I'm saying, well, apparently we can have a woman queen. And they say, yeah, but you think it's wrong. And I say, well, I like this queen pretty much largely. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And I'm kind of in horror of what Prince Charles will do Uh if and when he inherits the throne. (laughs) And you say, well, you're being inconsistent. And I say, well, Foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. And you say, well, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. And I say, have you ever noticed that that's a very large percentage of every conversation of every person? (laughs) We're always making distinctions, saying on the one hand this, on the other hand that. And so I'm trying to argue that the creation order reflected in the language of scripture, reflected in the order of the home, reflected 
in government reflected in the fall, Adam being our federal head, on and on and on. Mm. I'm trying to say, okay, that this is God's order. And that because of that, women are not properly to exercise authority and teach men. And would we all please just stop with the exceptions and the fears and for once look at the truth and say, is that true? Because not until we do that do we have any fear of God and do we tremble at his word. Is it true? that it is because Adam was created first and then Eve, that women should not teach and exercise authority over men. Or is Paul wrong? And the wonderful thing about Paul King Jewett, pioneer feminist in the evangelical world, professor at Fuller Seminary, he wrote a wonderfully good book on sexuality and manhood and womanhood. And it was wonderfully good because it just was completely wrong, and he just stood behind his wrongness. And so when it came to this text in 1 Timothy 2, what he said was, Paul said it, and Paul was wrong. <laughs> you know? And it's like, yes, I love Paul King Jewett. I adore Paul King Jewett. Because now we can both take off the gloves and have an argument because he's actually admitting he's not patronizing Paul. He's not patronizing God. He's not patronizing scripture. He just says scripture is wrong. Mm -hmm. And so that is, you're noticing I'm real impassioned when I'm saying that. Well, that's because I've gone around the country speaking on this at seminaries to all kinds of scholars and simple people. And one thing I've observed, you know, I observed this at Bible colleges at Moody when I was in a debate there with Stuart and Bris Jill Briscoe, were feminists and poor me. I'm just a bumpkin, not sophisticated with a British accent and a, a six foot two wife. <laughs> you know, it's just me, just me. And every single time, whether it's a seminary, whether it's a Bible college, whether it's Moody, I don't care. Even at a large group of college Asians, Western Massachusetts going to a bunch of the different uh, secular schools and state schools there, I get done and the sheep are panting for more because they've never heard their sexuality explained so simply and so clearly. And it resonates with who they know they are. And meanwhile, the professors write letters castigating me that they send out to the whole faculty when I leave. They, they refuse to honor the commitments they made before they invited me to come. They, they diss me with faint praise. They damn me with faint praise. They, oh, they just can't stand me. Well, look, I'm not whining. Because as I see it, if you're going to speak on sexuality today, you're either going to have the approval of the sheep or the approval of the shepherds. You can't have both because the shepherds have all conspired to hide this truth. And they hide it on different levels. Obviously, the rabid egalitarian feminists in the evangelical world are hiding it in a different way than complementarians are. But what we have to do is realize that throughout all the history of man, not humankind, but man, because that's what God named us, man, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> you know, throughout all history, everybody has said what I'm saying. What I'm saying is utterly boring across all history mm-hmm. among Christians, the people of God. Whereas what everybody else is saying is unique, creative, insightful, new light. Novel. Uh, novel. <laughs> you know. And so I'm throwing a bunch of different arguments together. Obviously, I can't prove my exegesis and my hermeneutic by saying that the church has always believed that. <laughs> but boy, that better be a pretty strong influence in who we listen to about what Scripture is saying. Mm-hmm. So, assuming people are on board, we've established that uh, men should act like men and women should act like women. Uh, we haven't really established what that means, though. Absolutely, you're right. So, what is it to be a man and what is it to be a woman and how do you start doing it? Hmm. So, one of the people we all love is Alex McNeely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Alex is... Well, I think it's fair to say that Alex is more manly than any of us four. I think it's fair to say that Phil Moyer is more manly than any of us. I think it's fair to say that David Carell is more manly than any of us. All of us have some degree of gayness, mm-hmm. effeminacy, right? We're yeah. all, everybody's agreeing. You can't see it, but I can see their faces. Mm-hmm. It's really good to talk about these things in front of somebody who is naturally not effeminate. I'm not trying to say that there's nothing effeminate about Alex. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I happen to know some interesting things about him and his, his saxophone and his practice methods. And I think he would cop to the fact that when it came to practicing his sax, even though he got some of the top solo roles in the jazz program at Indiana University when they when they gave concerts he as did an not, undergrad as an undergrad yeah yeah he did not practice the way he should have i was flabbergasted when he told me that well that's kind of gay that's mm-hmm. kind of effeminate to coast on your skill rather than improving it as a matter of fact it might be more gay than the poor sucker who has no skill at all and doesn't practice <laughs> You know? So, Alex and I were talking, and I said to Alex, what we need to do is obey our sexuality. And Alex really did not like that. I don't know if you were there in that discussion, Jake and Nate. I feel like it's happened multiple in multiple contexts. But yeah, I've been there for some of it, for sure. And so, Alex, I'm not sure whether he now thinks it's okay for me to say that, but I do want to say it. I've heard the arguments against it, but I think that we have to understand that God has assigned us a sexuality. Now, most people would think, well, why didn't you say God has assigned us a role? Well, because in our idolatrous age of images and movies and videos and everything, we ascribe more reality to roles than to the world itself. So that after 9-11, everybody said, oh my goodness, it was just like a movie. Mm-hmm. Well, no, actually, it wasn't just like a movie because it wasn't a movie. It was reality. And so mm-hmm. it is movies that give us our greatest rushes emotionally 
today. And so consequently, we love to talk about roles because we're all into different people having different roles. But what we have to realize is you take a role on and, and you take it off. You put it on and you take it off. And so sexuality is not a role. Mm -hmm. Sexuality mm -hmm. is who we are. And that's why I like to say, obey your sex. Okay? Obey it. God made you man. God made you woman. Now, some people are going to say, oh, yeah, but what about the people that are, have sexual dysphoria? What about the people who have who aren't any clear sexuality in their uh, sexual organs. What, what about all those people? And I say, listen, I'm happy to talk to you about that, but not now. Because that is part of the way all of us today try to avoid the obvious. We trot out exceptional cases, and it's like going into a bedroom, and there's a murderer after me, and so I grab a pillow, and I rip it open, and I shake all the fluff, all the goose down, all over so that the murderer can't see me. And that's what you do when you take an extraordinarily rare issue and you try to avoid the rule by trotting out the extraordinary. It's the modern morbid habit of sacrificing the normal on the altar of the abnormal. A pundit has put it that way. So we're not going to talk about hermaphrodite. You want to say something, Jake? No, sorry. Well, okay. So God made you man. Not, God did not assign you the role of man. God made you man. It is as hardwired as hardwired can be. It's your chemicals, your hormones. It's chromosomes. Chromosomes. It is, okay, now listen to me. Okay, I'm sorry. I hope you're not listening with a woman if you're a man. And I hope you're not listening with a man if you're a woman. And I hope none of you are listening with your children, because I'm going to share a secret. If you take off your clothes in front of a mirror, I'm going to guarantee you that you will see which you are. Mm -hmm. Okay? <laughs> and if you're a man, and you have your clothes off in front of a mirror, and your wife walks in, you know what's going to happen? Your manhood is going to, shall we say, assert itself. Now... You know what I'm talking about. And so when I say obey your sexuality, what I want you to do is look down at your penis and do what it tells you to do. And what it tells you to do is to find a hole. Now, I know at this point I've scandalized everyone because I've actually been as graphic with my language as Scripture is constantly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but our movies never are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. But... Now, other people, like women, probably are saying, a hole, is that all I am, a hole? And I say, well, is that all he is, a rod? Do you realize that until recently, all the hardware stores used the language of male and female constantly in describing which part was needed? Mm -hmm. And it was because one was a rod and one was a hole. Okay? Can we please stop being scandalized that God gave us vaginas and penises and begin to obey them now at this point maybe the women are not thinking i'm being demeaning to women referring them a whole because after all i did call a man a rod okay but what i'm trying to get at is i'm not trying to be obscene but i'm trying to get at the fact that we have so marginalized god's 
command of male and female that we no longer think in terms of sex, we think in terms of gender. And the difference between sex and gender, I'm not talking about grammar now, I'm talking about the way it's used in common parlance. The difference between sex and gender is the minute I say sex, everybody thinks sex. (laughs) But when I say gender, everybody thinks preference. Everybody immediately goes into this amorphous globule of choice and preference and plasticity and androgyny and spectrum. and, Mm -hmm. And so I want you to get that out of your mind. We're talking about sex here. And to make it clear to you, we're talking about sexual organs. One of them is made as a whole and it receives things. And one of them is made as a penetrating rod and it pierces things. And that is a perfectly godly teaching doctrine on the meaning of sexuality. We know from all of scripture, and then we know from our own body parts that man is responsible and intended to take the initiative and that woman is to be responsive and to receive his initiative. Now, I don't know how to talk to the person who refuses to see this. It's so obvious in our bodies. It's so obvious in all the literature of the world. It's so obvious in the poetry. It's so obvious in the movies. It's so obvious in nature. Okay? Even down to the germination of of fruit and the blossoms of fruit trees. You know? And so... What we need to do if we want to know what it means to be a man is meditate on the fact that we are made to take the initiative sexually. We're made to take the initiative in how we dance and how we mate. We are made to take the initiative in finding a wife. We are made to take the initiative. It doesn't mean that we can't give the initiative over to our wives. I do that all the time. She keeps our books, okay? But it does mean that the man bears the final responsibility. And the woman is to make herself helpful to the one who takes the initiative. And we absolutely require it with dance, although I'm expecting the day to come where even in dance it's going to be lost. We absolutely expect it to be the case in all of human history except our perverse day. Can we please return to what studying and learning again things we should have known from the ground up from when we were born, what it means to take the initiative and bear responsibility, what it means to be receptive and to be willing to help. So I can immediately see some applications for marriage, but uh, what if I'm a single woman, so there's no one taking the initiative with me to respond to? And I'm a single man, so I don't have anyone to initiate with. Yeah, but that's not okay. That's but that's not true. A single woman has tons of people to be responsive to her. She has not just other women, but older women that she can be responsive to. She has men she can be she can be responsive to the dying. Think of Mother Teresa. Was mother not a mother? No. She wasn't a father. She was Mother Teresa. And she was unbelievably responsive to the needs all around her. And she took initiative to help. All right? That's what nurses do. And there's nothing unfeminine or butch about Mother Teresa and nurses that take initiative to help the dying. Even that is helpful. Okay. 
Let me give an illustration. When I first came to Bloomington, there were a middle-aged pair of women who were inseparable. All right. Now, some people might think they can guess who they were. And my guess is you can't guess who they were. I always have that problem when I use illustrations because people think that there's only one one set of whatever the example is. Mm -hmm. And actually, these examples are all over the country, all over the world, all through time. Anyhow, I came to the church and there was one couple who was two women in their middle aged and they were inseparable. They lived together, they sat in worship together, they went together, they came together, they worked at the same place together, they were always together. Well, stupid me, I thought probably they were lesbians. And I began to try to figure out how I could call them to repentance, because anything said from the pulpit uh, apparently hadn't worked, okay? One day, on my calendar, I was to meet with one of these women, and I thought, well, now's my opportunity. And so she came in, and it was presented to me on a, on a platter, a silver platter, because she sat down and she said, she referred to the other woman, and she said that this other woman had a son, and this other woman's son hates me because he says that I've broken up his mother's marriage. And I'm sitting there pinching myself to see if this is real. Here's this one woman presenting me a golden opportunity to say what I then immediately did say, which was, well, did you? (laughs) (laughs) And she was so shocked that I asked the question. Well... Obviously, within a few minutes, there were tears, there was repentance, there was faith, there was mercy. (laughs) It was unbelievably beautiful. What pastors actually live for is repentance. That's where we want to live with our dear ewes and rams and lambs. And so, now ready for this? She's a woman, I'm a man. She's in a lesbian relationship, and I took the initiative. (laughs) You know, we are always male and female. And she was so receptive to a man who took the initiative in something other than an abusive way. And I'm not going to go into the details, but I want you to know that I've had the privilege of pastoring for 30 years now all kinds of people who have come out of homosexuality and prostitution, lesbianism. I'm not going to say some of the other words, but just take the most awful sexual sins you can think of. And those have been a regular part of our work as pastors and elders and Titus II women. We wouldn't dream of helping these people without our wives next Mm -hmm. to us. And so, Nate, that's my response. My response is, look, I know some women hate men so much that they will not allow themselves to be loved by a man who isn't their husband. He isn't a lover, he, but he, he loves her because he's her pastor. That woman went on and allowed me to open up her life. That woman went on to allow me to talk to her 
and her homosexual, her lesbian lover about the fact that they couldn't live together anymore. That woman went on to become a woman of faith. And, and to this day, do you know how much strength I get in, in, in podcasts like this? When I preach all over the church, I see similar people mm. who have repented. And so if somebody doesn't want to obey scripture, if somebody wants to deny the meaning of manhood and womanhood, if somebody wants to be a butch woman or an effeminate man, and they say, well, what about single people? I would say to them, let's say it was a man. I would say, oh, okay, what about single people? You're single, aren't you? And he'd say, yes. And I'd say, so do you beat your meat? And he'd sort of, what? And I'd say, you know what I'm asking. Are you using pornography and masturbating? Now, I wouldn't do this to a tender sheep, but I would do it to a narcissistic, self-centered, proud, effeminate. Okay, that's the one I'd use the expression beat your meat with. So he has to have some image in his mind that humiliates him, okay? Now, do you, do you want to stop there, Nathan, and defend me from what everybody's thinking that I'm, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Nope. <laughs> well, listen, you can't see my face, but trust me, these people know I love them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even when I'm hard on them like that, I will immediately be soft so that they know I just humiliated them for the purpose of them being willing to be led and taught. Well, I the, mean, the, the Apostle the, Paul the, does this. The only reason mm-hmm. that the three of us are here talking to Tim today is because you, you gave us those kinds of treatments where we mm-hmm. needed them the most and right. we love we love you for it so yeah. that's that's, that's and my now defense. you give them to other people mm. yep. oh, oh, oh. and so now i can die right mm. and that's all of life that's all it is the things you've heard from others pass on to reliable men mm. and that's what the four of us are we're just one tiny generation in the history of man so let me finish what i was going to say almost without exception, he will say, well, yeah, I don't think it's good, but, but, but yeah, I, yeah, I do. Yeah. At times, sometimes. Yeah. And so then I'll say to him, so when the apostle Paul says it's better to marry than to burn, it looks to me like you're burning. Why aren't you married? Now, right there, right there is the most important truth that Christians need to learn today. Everybody's talking about LGBTQ. Everybody's talking about bi. Now, turns out a lot of gays are actually bi. And now the gays are mad because the bi's are taking the initiative. Mm-hmm. And yep. we just have this nefarious uh, cesspool of every kind of sexual immorality all around us and Christians are working so hard to be understanding about it all. Okay. And one of the things we're most intent about being understanding about is the narcissistic prima donna aesthetic sensitivity, vain, self-centered, arrogant Christian man who says that he's gay or who simply can't find a woman to marry, but he never goes out on a date and is quite content to spend the rest of his life masturbating, looking at naked flesh. 
And this is where the Western world is today. This is where we are today. I was talking to my friend Jürgen von Hagen over in Germany. He's the dean of the business school at University of Bonn. And he was telling me that there's a whole bunch of research going on today about why it is that young people are not bothering dating and getting married and having sex. They just are uninterested in it. Hmm. Well, here's an idea. Maybe if you get real good at knowing precisely what kind of stranger's nakedness you like, maybe little kids, maybe men, maybe women, maybe women together, maybe men together, maybe words instead of images, maybe romance novel, maybe. Well, that's so much easier than being married. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but marriage is hard. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yep. And it exposes my sin in a way that I can't be a prig. I can't be arrogant. I can't be vain because my wife has seen me put my underwear on and take it off. <laughs> and so when the Apostle Paul says it's better to marry than to burn, what we haven't realized is this is a command from God that we are not to burn with lust when we can get married. And then people are going to say, well, homosexuals and gays, lesbians, bi's, they can't get married. I say, did you hear me say earlier in Sparta and in Greece and Rome, everybody had their boy and they were married and had children. And when that boy began to grow pubic hair and facial hair, he then took off the role of the receptor and took on the responsibility to be a father and a husband, and he himself got a boy. In other words, look, sexuality isn't fixed. The overwhelming majority of kids in high school who think they're gay, okay, end up by 23 years old having chosen to go back to their sexuality of birth. And these are, there's studies all out the wazoo showing this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody says to me, well, this just applies to married people, it doesn't apply to single people, I say, well, if you show me somebody who has the calling of singleness like the Apostle Paul and the purity of the Apostle Paul, who doesn't burn with lust, I might be prepared to believe you, Okay. But what I run into is people who are just so narcissistic and so selfish that they refuse, they refuse to love a woman or to love a man. They refuse. And so what we see in the evangelical churches everywhere else is women are delaying marriage longer and longer and longer and longer. And why? Well, they're waiting for their, for their white knight. And what's amazing is they all get married by the time they reach the age of 40. (laughs) Somehow the clock clicks in, and by the time they're 40, they want a child. Mm -hmm. And so now it's time for that lifestyle option, but they've just blown through 20s and 30s, the time of their greatest fertility, okay, being selfish. And they may have real justifications about why their selfishness is actually godly. But somehow, it's the same selfishness with the same age periods and the same time of marriage as all the pagans, and what it amounts to is all of us are burning instead of getting married. And therefore, we wait to be sanctified until we're 40 years old, 
because marriage is unbelievably sanctifying. All the benefits of having to conform ourselves to woman and to man in marriage are lost to us for half our life. And then people are going to say, oh yeah, but the apostle Paul said that if you can be like him, that you should be like him and devote yourself fully to the Lord. And I say, look, I've been in a university community, Boulder, Colorado, San Diego, Boston, Wheaton, and now Bloomington most of my life. And I can tell you that all the people who want to talk about the apostle Paul's theology of sexuality and singleness all those people, almost without exception, are the most selfish people I've ever known in my life. Mm. Yeah. Ha! <laughs> That's why I know. Now I know why you don't. <laughs> what? I, never mind. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Just don't let me listen to this one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so now I'm I got my feet on the floor again and look can we humble ourselves and believe that God is a father who knows what's best for his children and can we humble ourselves and go back to the basics can we humble ourselves and look at our bodies and look at Scripture and submit to them? Can we humble ourselves and bear responsibility for others as men? And can we be responsive to men as women? Is it really that humiliating for us to admit that actually it's kind of attractive being around a man who's manly? Can we all stop watching movies where some little chick... <laughs> supposedly is like smashing smash face with a guy that is twice her size, three times her weight and has 10 million black belts. Can we please go back to God and to his word and stop trying to emulate this perversely sick and wicked world. Can we stop hiding? Can we stop whining? Can we stop copying postures as victims? And I know some people listening to this are going to say to me, well, in order to embrace biblical sexuality, you have to have had a childhood and a prior life that, that, that somehow is in conformity with what we see in Scripture. But I was abused. My father raped me. My school teacher at my Christian school felt me up when I went into his class to talk to him. At my Christian camp, I saw it. And, and, and so all of us want to say that we have special reasons to rebel against God and to remain impregnable to his word. And we don't. If you read the Bible, you see that all these sins are as old as man, as old as the earth. They're all through Scripture. And God doesn't call us to have faith and to live by faith if we haven't been a victim. God calls people who are victims of Adam's sin <laughs> to have faith and to live by faith and to repent. 
And so if we're all going to excuse ourselves in being sexually perverse and not wanting to be married and being selfish and masturbating and looking at pornography or reading romance novels or having lesbianism or whatever is your bisexuality, hooking up, all this crap, okay? Mm-hmm. If that's what we want to do, we can try to stand before God at the judgment day and we can say to him that he done us wrong and who he gave us as our uncle or piano teacher or, or our sister, you know, how, you know, you realize that a lot of times the, the, the actual predator in a family is the older sister. I know this from my pastoral counseling. So we're not dealing with men being bad and women being good. No. And so we have to change our whole way of approach to faith and to repentance and to sanctification. And if we think that we can be like the world with our sexuality and then godly in our devotions and coffee roasting and podcast consumption, Mm -hmm. is that a disease? Can be. (laughs) Fatal sometimes. (laughs) Then we're just liars. And furthermore, we, we don't have a pastor or an elder or a Titus II woman who's caring for our souls. Hmm. Well, I think I kind of want to leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) We can come back and do some more podcasts later if people have more. Why didn't you unpack this or that? But I don't know. Do you have a thought, Jake? Well, the only thought I have is there's, there's a young man out there listening who really wants to figure out how to be a man and win a woman and has never been given the tools. And doesn't want to be a victim, but doesn't know where to start. Mm-hmm. And I want to be sure that man hears the very last thing that Tim said, which is you don't have, your, your problem is you don't have an elder or a pastor. Hmm. Who or actually, if you're a woman, a Titus 2 Or woman. if you're a woman, a Titus 2 woman, mm-hmm. who's committed to loving you and helping you figure that mm-hmm. stuff out. Mm-hmm. So get you that. Get you fathers and mothers as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Because you can't just you can't just get this stuff from a podcast. Well, yeah. it has to be caught. Mm-hmm. You have to see it. You have to have people who see you and see you more clearly than you see yourself and can speak into your life. You have to have. You just have to be around it. You have to be around families that are failing in the right direction. Ben, what would you say about the dangers of? the online world and learning femininity and masculinity. What I notice is that, honestly, I've been online now for 16 years with a blog. Mm -hmm. Started with World Magazine, I think it was 16 or 17 years ago now. Mm -hmm. And what I notice is that a lot of the people that are online are aspirational about manhood. Yeah, yep. And I've come to almost wishing that they would never read what I have to say Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because they just consume it as a way of. Yeah. Well, of trying to think that they're addressing their weakness. It's catharsis. Yep. It feels good to know how wrong you are and you can get that feeling online. You can read Tim Bailey or Doug Wilson or, number of other people, you can get that feeling. But without the flesh and blood, without the church, and without authority over you, 
you, you're not going to actually get shaped or challenged. And online rarely works. Sometimes it works as a secondary, it works in a secondary or tertiary capacity. Or as a catalyst, maybe. Yeah, maybe as a catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it doesn't work as a main event. If you want to be, if you want to learn manhood or womanhood, you have to be around community of repenting sinners with a pastor. There's not and Titus to women. Yeah, and that's why it always scares me to talk with you men because there's such trust between us and we know each other and we know our children, we know our wives, we we yeah. have a context. Mm. Yeah. And honestly, for me, if I tried mm. to podcast without the three of you men having developed followers, nobody would ever trust me because they've gotten intimate with you. And mm. so because mm -hmm. you love me or trust me, they're willing to give me a hear. Right? right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is not the norm. The norm is that we live in a church together and yeah. that we live together. We have the same sort of organic, constant intimacy with each other that we see in the book of Acts. Yeah. House to house. And that provides the whole lens and grid for interpreting everything that we have to say, actually. And so. Why you tell people this stuff has to be caught as much as it's taught is mm -hmm. you you don't have if you've not seen it if you've not lived among or been a part of this kind of community you don't have the right filters to even interpret what we're saying you, you'll you'll learn things and you'll you'll grow from it but the the context of actually seeing I, I have a really stupid analogy and it's but to people who haven't seen biblical sexuality you're not just telling them to make when you when you talk to them especially across the internet you're not just telling them to make bricks without straw you're talking to people who have never seen a brick before and trying to describe what a brick is in the brick making process mm -hmm. yeah and they don't have the straw to begin with and they they've never seen a brick and you have to you have to just be around and a part of this kind of community and around real brick makers who know how to make good bricks and can show you what a brick is and not just tell you how to make it. Well, one, one of the general problems with anyone who's putting out doctrine for other people to learn from, which is a good honorable thing if it's done well, is that you, you do get, you can get addicted to dependent on that source and you'll never see it lived out and it might replace your local church because it's better teaching, it's more biblical teaching, but it doesn't replace your local church it just leaves you as someone who enjoys doctrine without a church, which is to say, someone who can't apply that doctrine, someone who doesn't know how to have the grid for it, like Jake is saying, and it leaves you kind of, it leaves you stranded. Learn this doctrine. Imitate me as imitate I imitate me. Christ. Yeah. Join in imitating me. Find that thread throughout the entire New Testament. Start with Jesus taking men to follow him around for three years and to live life with him. And then see that thread and see that command woven throughout scripture mm -hmm. with the apostle Paul. Imitation of those God has placed over us as pastors, as fathers and, and mothers in the faith is essential to Christian discipleship. There is no Christian discipleship without imitation. Just like there's no Christian discipleship without obedience to the authorities that God's placed over you in the household of faith. Those things are 
often taken for granted or assumed in Scripture, but they're also there explicitly all over the place if you have eyes to see them. So it's essential. You'd think at my age I'd stop having sort of cataclysmic thoughts, but yesterday I was talking— I'm, I'm sorry, Tim, can you talk into your mic? Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. You'd think at my age I start, I'd stop having cataclysmic thoughts, large thoughts, and they'd get progressively smaller. But one of the things that has really been weighing on me, Mary, Heather wants to see a number of children's books with children's stories written because children's story, Bible story books have gone bad, okay? Mm -hmm. And for many decades, my father-in-law had the best-selling one in the world. It was the Bible and Pictures for Little Eyes, but things have changed since then. And so she had given me a number of books by a certain author, very conservative publisher. These books have sold astoundingly well. And I had never looked at them. We use these books in our church. And so she wanted me to look at one, and then she had uh, written the story of Gideon and, and uh, herself. And so, so anyhow, I, I read one of these four books yesterday from beginning to end, which took me all of, what, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I was appalled at how anything hard-edged was removed from Scripture stories. Mm -hmm. Death was covered over with a blanket like at an accident scene. It was dealt with so daintily, and there was no sin, <laughs> you know, no sin, no repentance, no judgment of God, even though these were the themes of most of these stories. Somehow we managed to get through the stories with them all about being how nice God is and how if we love God, we'll be nice too, okay? And so we were talking about the fact that this is what is training our three-year-olds in the Christian church. They are imbibing this. This is the milk they are drinking. This is the culture they live in in the conservative Christian church. Well, how do you deal with this? And in talking to my daughter about this yesterday, Heather, our oldest, I said to her that I don't think anybody realizes how central our church is to everything we do. We do podcasts, we do books, we do conferences, we have a pastor's college. We've started a couple schools in, in Bloomington. People, I don't think, I think people just have no commitment to the church. None. And they think they can just pick and choose this podcast and this blogger and this, this Christian celebrity and this, that, and the other thing and eat a little here and sniff a little there and gulp a little here and, and go to this conference and then get my, a degree from this plate and on and on. And I do not think it's possible for the church to be reformed without pastoral care. And I mean the church's pastoral care. And one thing that's really impressed me in the last few years is realizing that we have, we have boiled the Reformation five centuries ago down to 
sola scriptura, sola fide, sola Christos, and to doctrinal justification by faith alone, to, to the very things that academics and scholars would always boil everything down to if they were able. Mm-hmm. And what we've done is we have removed the reformer's own testimony, okay, that the reason the Reformation was necessary was because false shepherds were destroying the flock. Mm-hmm. And justification by faith alone was Martin Luther's attempt to protect the sheep. Those for whom Christ died gave up his blood. And that's why Martin Luther taught them. And that's why he put the theses up on the door. And Calvin and Luther set up schools and publishing. And then they had children and got married. And then they wrote catechisms. And none of it was done from institutions outside of the church. Every single thing they did was focused on the church and the people lived with him. The most interesting thing that we have from Luther is his table talk. And a couple years ago with Jürgen, I went to that room where they had table talk. And I thought it was so fun to see how tiny that room was mm-hmm. and that they would just sit around there after dinner. And Luther's wife, Katie, would come up there and she was the, she was the, the what would you say, the, the pithy woman who would pop the bubbles of the men in that room. And so, Jake and Ben and Nate, I just want to really emphasize, if your heart is hungry to learn to be a woman and a man, you have to get out of your Laodicean church, and you have to find a church where you see some honor being given to motherhood and to fatherhood and to responsibility, and to responsiveness on the part of the women, and to help meetishness, and to all the things we're talking about. Because if all this is, is a guilty pleasure that you take as you're driving to work, and then you get to work, I know what you, your work is like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and how on earth are you going to survive if you have no fellowship and no preaching and no pastoral care? The reformers believed that pastoral care that was biblical and faithful was necessary for salvation. You read Bucer's book on pastoral care. He was Calvin's best friend, and he says it over and over again in that book. And so we don't want you to imbibe of a guilty pleasure listening to this podcast. Nope. Mm-hmm. And go away feeling superior to other people who don't know how fascinating biblical sexuality is. <laughs> That's just pathetic. What we want you to do is go to a church where there are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters in perfect purity, and where if you show up with your bosom heaving out of your blouse, they might talk to you about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> then you'll learn what it is to be a woman who is modest, and then you'll read the Westminster Larger Catechism's questions on the Seventh Commandment and see that men guarding their eyes and women being modest is part of the Sixth, Seventh Commandment, and then a whole world will open up to you as you begin to see that actually the Word of God is a hammer and a fire, and God is to be feared, and we all are effeminate, and we all are butch, and we all need to repent, and isn't it fun to repent because our love for each other grows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> This might be a silly 
note to close on, but I just keep thinking about this conversation that me and Meredith had when we were still early in our dating relationship, I think, where we went to Starbucks and I don't know how I did it, but I ordered a creme brulee in a way that she thought was effeminate or ironic or something like that. And so we sat down between effeminacy and irony. (laughs) I said, I'm not sure there's a difference between effeminacy and irony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Heaven help me. So (laughs) I so I I, I sat down and we started talking about something. I think some pretty serious. I, I had some big relationship thing that I wanted to figure out with her. And so I started giving her all my important, wonderful thoughts on that. And she just stopped me and said, did you have to order the creme brulee like that? And I said, like, what's, what's, what's the problem? And she said, she got really mad and she got really loud. And she said, you're a man, you know what you want. If you want a creme brulee, then you should just order the creme brulee. Why do you have to, you don't have to order creme brulees ironically. Just, just get the creme brulee. That's what you want. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh, that woman can undress you quicker than you can say Jack Robinson. <laughs> well, I did. I, I I fell in love a little bit more yeah. in that moment. But yeah. I but I just think that's how deep it goes. Like you're not going to learn how to order a creme brulee from a podcast. You can only learn to order a creme brulee. <laughs> it really is the Matrix. Isn't it? It is you the, know, yeah. Have you ever had on a serious podcast? Have you ever had? Any of your wives? No. I don't Man, think so. I think on effeminacy, mm-hmm. oh, 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 every one of your wives would be well, better than my wife. Well, they're just also beaten down by, by you know, they're all <laughs> The patriarchy. The, the patriarchy. They're also uh, dainty and flowery and... <sighs> you better tell people that you're being effeminate. Yes, I know. I'm, I'm being ironic, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, I always tell people, you take any 10 women from any evangelical church that's feminist or ACDC androgynous, whatever, butch, whatever you want to say, and then at random, random, you can pick your best from that church, but at random, you take 10 women from our church, you lock them up in a room together for 24 hours, I know who be walking out. Yep. Amen. (laughs) I mean, people have to understand that our women are like Katie Von Buren, Luther's wife. They're strong women. They're intimidating. They're stubborn. And they're perfectly godly helpmates. Which psalm is it that says that our our daughters will be like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace? It's one of Solomon's, I think. One of Solomon's, too. Our sons will be like olive shoots. Our daughters will be like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. Mm-hmm. I always think of that. That's what the patriarchy is supposed to produce. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you think you can be married to a woman like that with a couple of principles that you got off of a podcast about leadership and submission. Then, oh, that's so awful. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. you're, you're in Got a bridge trouble. to sell you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we encourage people to write in with your questions and your thoughts, and maybe we'll do some follow-ups. But I think we're going to leave this one here today.